Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. I want you stand as we begin our worship time this morning. Let's sing together. Sing with me. Who am I that the highest I was lost, but he brought me his love for me. His love for me. the sun sets free, all is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Thank you so much for being with us today in worship. We're glad that you are here. Uh, if you're a guest of ours this morning, please take one of the care cards that are located there in the pew rack in front of you and fill out your information. We'd like to at least send you something from our church just to thank you for being with us in worship today. And then everyone uh, has an opportunity to fill out prayer requests on the back of the care card. If you have a prayer need, we as a staff want to know that and be praying for you. So take a moment to fill that in. As you leave today, there is a box on the round table. Uh, wooden box back there. If you would leave those cards there, we'll collect those and make sure they get to the right uh, people. But thank you again uh, for being with us today. 
a couple of announcements. We do have 14 families today at Teen Valley Ranch in Plumtree, the metropolis of Plumtree, North Carolina. If you blink, you'll miss it. But uh, it's up near Spruce Pine. And Teen Valley Ranch is one of the, the most cozy, coolest camps uh, we go to. And so we've got 14 families up there this weekend for a family retreat. And so pray for them that they'll have safety as they return home uh, today from that trip, which does give us a schedule change for tonight. Uh, because they're going to be gone and not be able to get back in time, we do not have uh, discipleship training or youth events tonight. So please make note of that. We, st- we will have epic worship tonight at 9. So our young adults will still have worship tonight at 9 o'clock. So please no- note that. Also, uh, My Father's House, which is a ministry of uh, cooperative Christian ministries here in Concord, uh, we host a Bible study there on Tuesday nights. And they're in need of people to come help watch the toddlers, maybe one or two volunteers uh, to come help watch the toddlers while the moms and families there are in Bible study. If you could help with that, please see Jean Sullivan. Let her know. Uh, But they do need some help with that. Uh, We were there last week with Epic on Tuesday night. We took our group there and led worship. Uh, Chris Edgerton gave the message. And we did an invitation. And four people raised their hands to come to know Christ last Tuesday. And so that's exciting. Things are happening there. It's a great ministry opportunity. And folks, if you want to help homeless people, this is a, an opportunity for families to come live there for a period of time. And then they transition them into teaching houses, they say, to, to get them jobs and training and then move back into society. It is one of those organizations that truly helps in this area, but does it all under teaching about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so... Uh, We want to be a part of things that help people physically with food and housing and jobs and all that. But we also want to make that an avenue to share what? The gospel, right? And people are coming to know Jesus through this organization. So if you can help with that, uh, please see Gene Sullivan. They do that every Tuesday night. And then there are other announcements. Don't forget about the Golf for Missions golf tournament to support our youth as they go to, uh, to Alaska this summer. Uh, your registration to play of $60 is due by April 3rd. And then if you would like to have uh, to sponsor a hole, that's also due by April 3rd. The tournament is at, is at the Revival at the Crescent. And if you have other questions, just see Kevin Knight about those. But a lot of great things coming up. Uh, thank you again for being here. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And if you'll bow and just pray in silence where you're seated for just a moment and get your heart ready for worship, and then I'll pray out loud this morning. Let's pray together. God, we come to you this morning, and what a privilege it is just to speak uh, your name, and the scriptures say that you hear us. God, there are, I know, needs that are represented in this room. God, you know each one of them, and God, we pray and we lift those up before you right now, and we ask you to give us wisdom uh, in these situations, and if there are things in our lives that, uh, that we, we need to do, God, that you would show us those if we just need to be still and rest in you, God, that we would also do that. God, we do pray for all that's going on right now in our world. We do pray for Ukraine, and we pray for the whole situation over there. God, you know uh, what is going on. We pray you just uh, watch over people, God, and that uh, the truth would be known and that justice would prevail, God, in that whole situation. Be with our leadership. 
as I know they're making decisions, that you would give them your wisdom, God. We do pray for uh, all of our military and missionaries that are there, God, that you'd watch over them. For today, God, we thank you that you've allowed us to come into this building to meet with your church, God. We do pray for Pastor Scott today, that you would just speak through him, God, as he uh, continues the series on Abraham uh, and the faithfulness of Abraham today. God, I pray you'd be with him and speak through his mouth. I know he studied your word and that you would just challenge us through the power of the Holy Spirit to work in our lives today. God, be with those who are traveling today back from Teen Valley. We pray that you give them safety. Just give us a great day today in worship and help us lead today being challenged and refreshed that we know we've been in your presence. Help us to worship you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Would you stand as we continue singing about our Savior, Jesus Christ. Forever. 
North Carolina Baptist, I am here with Richard Brunson, the Executive Director of North Carolina Baptist on Mission. And uh, Richard and I have been talking all day for really a week now or more um, about the crisis in Ukraine. And uh, this crisis really hits home for us, specifically in North Carolina, because NC Baptists have a rich history of ministry and missions uh, in that part of the world. Um, Richard, Give us an example, like, like talk about North Carolina Baptists and what, what's been done in Ukraine. Wow, there, there, it does have a rich history. Starting in 1989, we started a po partnership with Poland. Hmm. When, when we went into Poland, Soviet troops were still guarding the airport. So wow. it was, they had just left. It was wow. just at the fall of the Soviet Union. We went in to help with Ukrainian Baptists and it was a great partnership. Hmm. And you were telling me earlier that you were talking with Ukrainian Baptists today. Um, what are you hearing on the ground? Like, what would you tell North Carolina Baptist about what you're hearing specifically? 
Well, it's terrible. Um, and they, they ask for our prayers. They remember North Carolina Baptist. I was telling them how much Ukrainian Baptist churches had meant to North Carolina Baptist and that we had a lot of churches and individuals who were praying, who wanted to come, who wanted to help in any way that they could. They greatly appreciate that because they're doing so much on the ground. They've really tried to mobilize their churches. They told me that there are churches that are housing displaced people in their basement who are sleeping there. There are all kinds of food needs, uh, needs for generators and mm -hmm. clothing, just yeah. all kinds of things. So for all of the, what would you say are a few first steps that we are getting North Carolina Baptists who are, who are calling us, they're talking to their regional catalysts. Um, what would you say, what, what are two or three quick things that North Carolina Baptists can do today? Well, always pray. That's what everybody, that's what they're saying. Pray, give, and go. So there are kind of several fronts that uh, volunteers and churches mm. that can help with. Yep. One is in Poland. Uh, we've been asked by Sin Relief to kind of uh, be the, that's the area of the world where we had asked to work if there was a disaster. Mm. And so we're kind of the lead state. Okay. And so Tom Beam is taking a team in. They leave Friday, get there Saturday. Tom is? Tom is our disaster, disaster relief director relief, right. for North Carolina mm -hmm. Baptist. And they're gonna go down to the southern part of Poland at the border where a lot of Ukrainian mm. refugees are coming in. Yep. And so there's a big, you know, that's the country yep. that's getting the greatest number of refugees uh, that are leaving the country. And so there are a number of different things. He's taking a, a doctor, they're gonna be doing some medical, they're gonna be doing some, some projects, but mainly they're gonna be doing assessment and planning for how we can use more teams mm. in assisting in Poland. Mm. The same time, uh, we've sent funds to Moldova now we have sent about 25,000 to help with Moldovan Baptists who are accepting, who have refugees coming in really through Moldova into the other countries. And then yesterday we had the request from Hungarian Baptist Aid, which is a partner in Hungary. And there are also a lot of refugees from, from Ukraine who are coming across the mm. Hungarian border. So they have a warehouse. They're even taking supplies into the country, mm -hmm. into Ukraine. Yep. And so they're, they're working at the border with refugees who are coming out. They're also, at this time, they're still able to get things through the Hungarian border into Ukraine. Pray, that's our primary strategy. That's what the Ukrainians are asking for is prayer. North Carolina Baptists, they believe in the power of prayer and so do we, and so they're asking that we pray and so I think we should. Um, give, you can give, you'll see a link at the bottom of this, uh, baptistonmission.org or, or certainly NC Baptist um, uh, website, you can check as well. And the last thing is go. I believe God's calling many of you who are watching this right now to go and go uh, with Baptist on Mission and let's go work with our partners there who need. I'm Todd Unzicker. This is my good friend, Richard Brunson, and we are here to tell you that we are on mission together. It's a great video. Don't let the... Uh mistake at the end of it take away from the message of the video uh, you know I guess we could say what's good what's the old saying what's good for the goose is good for the gander a week or two ago the teachers union across America uh, was the butt of jokes on social media because they got the colors of their flag upside down the yellow on top and blue on the bottom it should be the other way. So uh, I guess now 
if uh, teachers union is mocked on social media, uh, North Carolina Baptist will be now for this video. Uh, blue should be on top, the skies, yellow on the bottom, the grain fields. Uh, Ukraine, of course, is the breadbasket for Europe. So, uh, but anyway, don't let that, if you even picked up on that at the end, don't let that uh, detract away from the message of the video. Great message, of course, right now. Uh, we're inviting you to go to those links and uh, pray and give at this point. That's what we're doing at this point, praying and uh, giving. And pray for the situation there. We even have a uh, Baptist seminary in Ukraine. So pray for these folks. Uh, we've been looking at Abram uh, for a number of weeks now, and I've told you how important it is to look at Bible characters uh, in Scripture because we see how God dealt with Bible characters. And we know that the Scripture tells us He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, the way He dealt with Bible characters in the past is the way we can know that God deals with us today. So even studying Bible characters from the Old Testament, there's a great deal of application to you and me today. And we'll continue pointing out some of that application as we look at chapter 16. And this morning we're going to cover the topic, When the way of faith seems difficult. When the way of faith seems difficult. Maybe you've been in a situation like that. Uh, you've been in a situation that was hard and your way out might have seemed a lot easier than God's way out. And therein lies the temptation, right? So would you stand for the reading of God's word, please? We're going to read all of chapter 16. Uh, Genesis chapter 16. When the way of faith seems difficult. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after uh, Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much 
that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you're now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahoyroy, as it is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Father, we thank you for the life of Abraham. We know the scripture calls him the friend of God. And Lord, there is so much we learn today from this character in the Bible. So much that applies to our faith. And I pray that today you would open our understanding to your word. This is your word, your holy, inspired, inerrant word. And God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. All I can do is speak to ears. But Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to minds and to hearts. And Lord, that we would be moved in our own obedience to follow you and to follow you faithfully. And even when the way gets difficult in our life, that we would trust you, that we would turn to you and rely on your word, even when it might seem from a human standpoint of view that there would be an easier way that we could take care of matters. Father, I pray that we would be found faithful. Speak to hearts today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a gentleman by the name of Don Young from the state of Kansas. And Don relates the following story. He says, when my wife and I, uh, years ago, were speaking with our oldest daughter, she was still not much more than a toddler, she young grade school, and we were trying to talk to her about the importance of being a good steward with your money. And so we were teaching her how to budget, we were also teaching her how to save. And we were telling her when she filled her piggy bank up with her allowance money, we would let her take it down to the neighborhood bank down the street, very small country town there in, in Kansas. We would let her walk it down there, go into the bank, and open up a savings account. And so the day came that she had filled her piggy bank up and she was eager to go to the bank. So I called the, the bank president down there and told him that our daughter would be coming by to see them. He says, what an experience she received. 
The president of that branch himself met our daughter at the door and led her into an office where he created an account, a savings account, and my wife and I could come around later on and sign all the paperwork for our daughter. But he was talking to our daughter and how proud as a bank president he was of what she was doing and the importance of her parents teaching her about saving money and the interest that she would get over the years. And we, we got up and she got up to leave and she turned back and wouldn't leave. And I asked her, what can I do for you? Uh, is there something else I can do? And she looked up at the bank president. She said, yes, sir, I'm waiting for my interest. (laughs) Waiting. It's one of the toughest things that you and I are called upon to do sometimes in our lives. You know, we're an instant society, aren't we? Instant grits, instant potatoes, drive-throughs. We get mad if the drive-through doesn't move quickly enough. We want everything and we want it now. It's the type of society that we have become. And we have those expectations. But folks, if we're not careful... We need to see that in our spiritual lives, the the period of waiting is oftentimes a period where it becomes very easy to lose focus and to get off track. Philip Brooks was a famous pastor from a previous generation and Reverend Brooks was seen pacing back and forth one day and he was wringing his hands. Now, everybody knew Philip Brooks to to have a very calm and measured demeanor. And so it seemed so unnatural to see this man pacing back and forth and looking so nervous. And so somebody asked him, they said, Mr. Brooks, why, why are you pacing so? Why do you seem so nervous? And he said, I'll tell you why. Because I'm in a hurry and God's not. You've probably experienced that at some point in your life. It's not difficult to get off track in our spiritual walk. We've seen Abram doing this already in previous chapters. At times he would fail to trust God. Sometimes even after a high point in his spiritual walk. I think, for instance, when he ran down to Egypt. And there in Egypt, he lied about Sarah being his sister. And we recall from that story that his testimony took a hit. And now Abram has experienced another high point. God has appeared to Abram, assured Abram that he will have a son from his very own body, not the adopted servant in his household. God showed Abram all the stars above in the heavens and promised that that's how numerous his descendants would be. And then God followed this promise with a covenant. He literally cut a covenant with Abraham. 
whereby Abram was to take these animals and cut them into. Again, this was the custom of the day, cutting a covenant. They would cut animals uh, in half, lay the two halves apart, and both sides of the covenant, would the people would walk through the severed animals, and their pledge was, if I break my end of the covenant, may what has happened to these animals happen to me. But as I shared with you two weeks ago, it was God and God alone who passed between the animals. Signifying he was the initiator of this covenant. He was the one who would bring it to pass. And as God, you know, he's basically saying, if I break my end uh, of the covenant, may this happen to me. And of course, we know that destruction of God will never happen so even that image of God passing uh, between the two halves uh, of the animals is a testimony uh, of how sure and steadfast and faithful God is God cannot break his word God cannot break his promise amen And so needless to say, Abram has had some mountaintop experiences with God. But today it's like we see him down in the valley once again. Years have passed since he arrived in Canaan and still no son has been born to him. Abram and Sarah are now getting up in advanced age. And it just doesn't seem humanly possible to them that God's promises can come about. Folks, what we're going to see today, we're going to learn today the danger of failing to trust God's word and coming up with solutions of our own making. And the first thing I want you to see with me related to this is the difficulty of waiting on God. Look at verse 1 again. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Right off, it's like the chapter is opening up with a dark cloud over it. And what is that dark cloud? We're told that Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Now you can only imagine their disappointment. You see, what you and I don't understand perhaps at first glance is that 10 years have passed now between chapters 12 and 16. They've been in Canaan for 10 years and so far nothing has transpired by way of a child. It's even been a while since the events of chapter 15 have transpired. And so I'm sure that Abram and Sarah are thinking at this point that God's promise just doesn't make sense to them anymore. I mean, Sarai is 75 and Abram is 85. How in the world is God's promise going to be fulfilled now? They're just too old. Now related to this principle, I want to give you several principles. 
And the first one here is God does things in His time and for His glory. Folks, God's time is not our time. The Bible says that a thousand years to us are but a day in God's sight. God has a purpose in our waiting. Somebody has very wisely said God is seldom early but never late. And how true that is. Hebrews eleven twelve says that God had them wait for a son until they were as good as dead. Why? So that God and God alone would get the glory for the birth of Isaac. You see, if they were just a, a couple, a normal couple in the regular childbearing years, there would be nothing unusual at all about the birth of a son. I mean, everybody would expect it because they're in childbearing years. But at 85 and 75 years of age, what's, what's everybody going to think? This is a miracle. This has to be God doing this. And Abram and Sarai would see this as the fulfillment of God's promise. That's the only lesson they could glean from this. This is God. This is God fulfilling his promise to us exactly the way God said he would. You know, sometimes God does things so that nobody can stand back and take credit for it. Have you noticed that oftentimes in the Bible? I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The Bible says that this is why God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the wise. Paul goes on in that chapter to say there are not many noble that are chosen. God chooses some noble, yes, but Paul says not many. By and large, who is it that God chooses? God chooses plain, ordinary men and women and he works in and through them so when he does great things, everybody stands back and they have to recognize it's God who brought it all to pass. You see, if God only chose the best looking, the smartest, the brightest, the most likely to succeed, then the world wouldn't be surprised at all by what they do. But God chooses the weak things. He chooses the nobodies in the sight of the world. And then the world is able to witness what only God can do. Not only does that bring glory to God, but you know what? It gives hope to you and me as well. Because I have a feeling this morning that by and large, I'm just speaking to ordinary people. And so knowing that God works in and through just ordinary people gives you and I a great deal of hope. I want to do a little exercise. Dr. Adrian Rogers, Mr. Southern Baptist. He's in glory now, but years ago he did with his congregation. And I think you'll see where I'm going with this. If you were voted in high school the most likely to succeed, I want you to raise your hand right now. Either stand or raise your hand. Okay, we have a couple. Okay, I see three. Okay, if you were the valedictorian of your high school, your high school class, would you raise your hand if, again, if you were the valedictorian? Okay, I see a hand going up. 
I see another. Okay? If you have an advanced postgraduate degree from one of America's eight Ivy League universities, would you raise your hand? Okay? If you were ever voted Miss America or Miss Universe, <laughs> would you raise your hand? <laughs> Mike Connors raising his hand. Now, to all the hands that went up this morning, I've got a message for you. God can use you too. It's just going <laughs> to, it'll just take a little more because first of all, he's going to have to get you humble enough to use you. God chooses the weak things, the base things, the things that are not to confound the wise. And Paul goes on there in 1 Corinthians 1 to say why. He says that no flesh can boast before God. You see, that's why God had Abram and Sarai waiting. He had them waiting to get them small enough, or in this case, old enough, that everybody would see the hand of God in this. So God had a purpose in them waiting. It was to bring greater glory to himself and to show that he can be trusted. And maybe that's why God has you waiting on something today. If God were to go ahead and act in your life right now the way you want him to, you might try to take credit for it. Or you may not fully appreciate it. But in God's timing, he knows when and how to bring something to pass in your life. So again, you'll know it's God and you'll give him glory for it. And you won't dare want to take any of the credit. There's no way when God does things like this, we can stand back and say, that was me or that was us. Folks, that's what he's doing with Abram and Sarai. And there's another principle here. And, and having them wait. God has us waiting to teach us to trust him. Here, here he was teaching Abram and Sarai about trusting God when, when everything else would tell them otherwise. I want you to remember they had God's word, God's promise from chapter 15 to fall back on. But now that promise that God had given them back then seems so far in the rearview mirror now. Are they still supposed to trust in that promise? Yes. You see, folks, the Bible tells us in, in, in the New Testament, what I referred to a moment ago, that what happened to the saints of old is a testimony to you and I today. What they learn about trusting God is what God teaches us. But there's, a, there's another lesson too. It shows us how all scripture is inspired by God. Remember when Paul said to Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God. All Paul had in his hands at that point 
was the Old Testament. The New Testament canon wasn't even complete yet. And he's pointing out all scripture. So what that says to you and I today is everything we learn in the Old Testament. We might be a New Testament body of believers, but we read and we study the Old Testament too because the Old Testament is God's Word. It's God's inspired Word. And, and again, the principles that we learn back here, this is how God deals with us today. If circumstances would have been ideal for Abram and Sarai to trust God, what kind of lesson would that be to us when we're experiencing difficulty? We would say, but of course they trusted God. They had every single reason in life to trust Him. But by doing things this way, we learn from Abram and Sarai about trusting God when every thread of human wisdom would say that you need to do otherwise. We are to trust God's word and depend upon him to bring everything to pass that he has said he'll bring to pass even though the world might be shouting at us to throw God's word aside and do our own thing. We can trust his word just like we can trust his timing. We can trust both. We can trust his word because as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, heaven and earth will pass away before even one jot or tittle of my word will pass away. And a jot and a tittle in the Hebrew is some of the smallest marks of punctuation. Jesus says heaven and earth is going to pass away before even one jot or tittle of my word is going to pass away. Again, we can trust his word. If God has said it, God is going to do it. So the lesson for you and me is we trust his word. No matter what may come in life, no matter our circumstances, no matter if our friends are making fun of us because we actually believe God's word, whatever our friends say, whatever the world says, we trust what God has said. We trust his timing and we trust his word. A second thing I want you to see. The ease of charting our own course. Look again at verse 2. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived when she knew that she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. I want you to notice what Sarai does. She plans a detour from the course that God had planned for them. Don't you just hate detours? Aren't you so glad this intersection down here is open now? Coming from my neighborhood on the other side of 29, you'd have to go behind Food Line, pop out on 29, go north on 29, find a cutout or a left turn lane, come back down so you could then take a right on Pitt School Road. And I cannot tell you the number of days that I saw rear-end collisions on Highway 29 from people going down to the cutouts and making a U-turn. 
I was so glad when they, they opened that intersection back up. And we didn't have to detour anymore. We hate detours. Well, look at what uh, Sarai is doing here. She's actually planning a detour. She's planning her own court. God has charted the way that they're to go. But she plans an alternate route. She's already concluded apparently that God can't do what he said he was going to do. That they've been waiting for. And here's probably her reasoning. She might have been reasoning to herself. Well God told my husband that he would have an heir who would come from his own body. But nothing was necessarily said about this child coming from my body too. So maybe I'm the problem. Maybe that's her reasoning. And according to the marriage code of the day, what happens next, believe it or not, was not considered wrong or immoral. Now, it wasn't God's plan, not even from the beginning, but it had become a custom. God's plan, even from the beginning, from Genesis 2, is one, one man for one woman for life. That's God's plan. But it was so important at this time to have a child that barren wives would give their maids to their husbands as surrogates and the baby that was born would be considered the baby of the wife not the surrogate now I don't know why it was generally considered that if there's barrenness in a couple it must be the woman but nonetheless that was the thinking of the day and you'll recall in the book of Genesis, the same thing's going to happen again in the case with Jacob. Same plan is done. Again, it wasn't God's plan. And usually whenever you see couples doing something like this in the Bible, you see trouble following. But I'm just simply saying it was the accepted custom of the day. Some principles here. When we chart our own course, it's easy to blame God that his way does not work. Notice that Sarai seems to be putting the blame on God. The Lord has restrained me. God, you've kept me from having a child. God, it's your fault. Your plan's not worked. And so God, I need to help you out. You think that happens today? Of course it does. You might be in a tough marriage. You might be in a tough job. God may have a plan and all that. I, I recently had somebody share that very kind of testimony with me as to what God did in a time of difficulty in their marriage and how God worked and what they've learned since from it. It may be God's will to leave you in that situation uh, until God has accomplished His purpose. Remember what his purpose is? To bring glory to his name and to teach us more about himself. But when things don't happen the way we think they should in the time we think they ought to happen in, we begin scheming. It's easy to do. And we even begin blaming God. We may say something like this to God. God, I, I'm going to do this or that. If only you had done something differently, then I wouldn't be in this predicament, God. If you'd given me a different job. 
If you'd given me a different spouse, if you'd given me different kids, if you made me differently, if I was prettier or more handsome or smarter, if I only had more money, and, and we rationalize why we need to go ahead and do what we're going to plan to do, and, and somehow or another we try to blame God for it all. Another principle, God may allow us initial success in our plan. It seemed like Sarai's plan worked. How do we know this? Because Hagar conceived. Sarah's probably thinking, see, this, this, is, this is perfect. Abram, I was right. You're going to have an heir now. You're going to have a son. I was right. We needed to do it my way. And folks, what do we learn? We need to learn that not everything in life that works or everything in life that is even legal is approved by God. Just because man says, go ahead and do it, it'll be easier, an easier way to deal with this unfortunate circumstance doesn't make it right in God's sight. And likewise, just because you're able to do something successfully doesn't mean it's right with God. You remember again what the Apostle Paul had to say about this? In 1 Corinthians, he's talking about the pagan meat markets. The pagans had some of the pagan groups worshiping false gods and idols. They had sacrifices too. And after they would have their sacrifices, instead of just discarding the meat, they would, in some of the big cities of the day, they would have their pagan meat markets. And their meat would be on sale at a good price. Because it had been used in a pagan ritual. And, and Paul is saying to the Corinthians, you know, if, if I'm the only one involved in this scenario, I'm just going down to buy meat for myself. I mean, I know that that false god is not a god. It's a dead idol. That The meat sacrificed to that god doesn't mean anything. Hey, good stewardship for me. I'll go and, and buy that meat. And as I'm sitting down to eat it, I'll give thanks to the true and living God for it. And hey, my wallet's going to be fatter. My budget's going to be better off. Seems like an expedient thing to do, right? But you remember what Paul concluded? He said, if by me exercising my personal liberty that I cause my brother, a weaker brother, to stumble, then I will refrain from purchasing that meat. I will not ruin my brother or sister in Christ for the sake of food that I'm going to put in my mouth. Again, permissible for me? Yes. But just because it's permissible for me doesn't mean it's expedient. What Sarah did was fine in the eyes of the world around her. It was permissible. But it wasn't profitable. Nobody would have questioned Sarah and Abram for doing this. Nobody would have condemned them. Other couples around them that day were probably doing the same thing. But again, it wasn't God's plan. It wasn't right. 
Later on, God didn't refer to Hagar as Abram's wife. He continued to call Hagar Sarai's maid. And in other words, God didn't legitimize Sarai's plan. He, he says this bondwoman and her son. Folks, it can be so easy to chart our own course, to come up with our own plan, even succeed at it. I mean, it seems like we're getting away with it. We're succeeding at it. We're having success at it. But if it violates God's word and God's plan, it is not right. Whatever you and I do in life, it's got to pass the judgment bar of God. It doesn't matter how innocent it might seem. It, it doesn't matter how easy it might seem. Seem, it, might, it doesn't even matter if it seems like we're having a great deal of success doing it. Is it what God wants? And the world's approval or disapproval should not even be our guide. You know, parents all the time say to their kids, just because all your friends are doing it doesn't make it right. How many of us have heard our parents say that at some point in our life? I think every hand's going to go up. And then years later, hang on a minute, parents, guard your toes, okay? Years later, parents might be guilty of doing something. Well, everybody's going out and doing this and buying this. You want to say, hey, remember what you told your kids decades ago if everybody's doing it? Doesn't mean you should do it. Maybe you need to take a little bit of your own advice right now, right? The Bible says if it's not a faith, it is sin. Now, third thing I want you to see with me this morning. The reality of consequences eventually set in. Begin with me in verse 5. Then Sarai said to Abram, You're responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave's in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Notice how... How Hagar turns on Sarai to some degree. Sarai's plan has now become Sarai's curse. What she thought was a good solution, now this woman is mocking her and rubbing her nose in it. It seems like here's a couple who has begun in the spirit and now they're reaping the consequences of the flesh. They started with God's plan, they adopted their own plan, and now it's not turning out so good. Again, isn't that just like the world? I had a man tell me some time ago, you know, pastor, when I was young, I knew what God's word said about the Christian life and how I should live. I knew what it said about marriage and family life. But you know, I thought, I'm young, I'm going to go ahead and do things my way. I'll, it'll be fine. And years later, he saw it wasn't fine. And his life had turned into a mess. His plan seemed right at the time. God's plan seemed restrictive at the time. And later on, he confessed, Pastor, what a fool I have been 
But it was too late then. He was having to deal with the consequences of what he had done. Let me suggest something very important here. When you find yourself suffering because of ungodly choices, seek God's forgiveness and also seek God's roadmap out of the mess. In other words, don't just keep digging in the direction you're going. When it comes to God's roadmap out of the mess, that doesn't mean that there's still not going to be consequences to pay. But it does mean that God will keep you from adding more messes on top of the mess you've already got. You know, we tend to make one ungodly choice and, and sometimes we just keep making ungodly choices to get relief. And we dig our hole deeper and deeper and deeper. Kind of like David did. I mean, he'd sinned with Bathsheba, and then to cover up that sin, what's he end up doing? Killing, uh, having Bathsheba's husband killed in battle. He just kept digging. It would have been much better if Abraham would have called Sarai and, and Hagar together and they built an altar there on the spot, called on the name of the Lord and said, God, we've made a mess out of this. We didn't trust your timing. We didn't trust your word. And we're here to, to confess our sin and repent before you. You would think they would have done something like that. But it's not what they do. They have these consequences. And notice what those were. What Sarai do? She turned on Abram. This is your fault. This is your fault. This has happened the way it has. Blaming. <clears throat> what does Abram do? He passes the buck. He's going to be the passive male here when he of all people should have been the one trying to go before God and, and get his family together and, and, and come up with God's solution. He should have been leading him to seek the Lord. But he's now trying to avoid the situation altogether, throws it back on his wife and says, Hey, she's your, she's your slave woman. Just go ahead and do with her whatever you think best. I'm just going to avoid the situation. Then what's Sarai do? She mistreats Hagar. What's Hagar do? I just need to run. I'm just going to run. I'm just going to get out of here. Have you discovered in life none of those approaches work? Some people blame others. Pointing fingers, blaming others. It doesn't work. Causes conflict in your home and all your relationships. Makes things worse. Take responsibility. Others passively sit back and just try to ignore the problem or let somebody else handle it. Well, that doesn't work either. Others run. But have you discovered everywhere you run, guess what's right on your heels? Your same problems you didn't deal with. You might change jobs, change marriages, change churches, and initially you think, oh man, this is perfect. Grass on the other side, greener. You know, they don't know me, I don't know them. You know, we're kind of starting clean here. And, and they settle down, guess what? 
personifying your problems. Your problem knocks on your door. You open the door and your problem says, guess who? I'm back. (laughs) Consequences. Consequences to sin are always present. And they've got to be dealt with properly. You've got to confess to God you've made a mess of things. And if you've made a mess of things with others, get them together. Together, call upon the name of the Lord. Confess to God you've made a mess of things. And repent. Turn away from what you've done wrong. And and turn back to God. Notice what God says to Hagar. He's not going to let her run. Hagar needed to return and be subject to Sarai. Boy, that's one of the the hard commands in the Bible, isn't it? You You need to go back to your... The, the lady that you're her handmaid and her slave. You need to go back and be subject to her. What's God say to Hagar? You're going to have a son. And I'm going to bless him. Hagar, you've, you've had a son. Wasn't the way it, it was planned. But I'm going to bless him too in my own way of blessing him. But I want to tell you something. He is going to be a, like a wild donkey. He's going to be like a wild man against the world and the world against him. And boy, aren't we seeing that even to today. Arabs against Jews. Consequences. Consequences. Are you in a period of waiting? Are you getting impatient? What's God trying to teach you? What's God trying to show you? Make it a matter of prayer. And I want you to remember some things you can't rush. Keep praying, keep seeking the Lord until you get an answer. I mean, we're that instant society. But again, I remind you, in the Bible, when we see God working in the lives of saints, something, there might be 10 or 15 years between answers to prayer. You're expecting an answer overnight. It may not happen overnight. Are you still committed to waiting on God anyway? Are you committed to God's glory? That should be our first priority as the body of Christ. God, help me to wait on you and get your answer and do what you want me to do so you'll get the glory. Perhaps you're in Abraham's shoes this morning. You failed the test of waiting. You've come up like he and Sarai with your own solution. And because of that, you've settled for Less than God's best. I want you to go home this afternoon and read the second half of the chapter. Because again, what I pointed out at the end here. Even though Abraham had to suffer consequences, God was able to work through their mistakes. Would have been easier had they done it right to begin with. But God God brought something out of their mess and their disobedience. And He can do that in your life too. If you have failed 
understand there are consequences for your sins. As Charles Spurgeon, probably the most famous Baptist preacher ever, as he said one time, God doesn't allow his children to sin successfully. So there's consequences. But that doesn't mean that God is done with you. Allow him to work even in your failure. Surrender even your failure to God. And you'll see what only he can do. Would you stand please? Let's pray together. Father, it's hard to wait. It's hard to trust. When weeks, months, years go by, we see that there's an alternate route that we could take and all the messes that we end up in. God, help us to trust your word and trust your timing. Even when those around us, maybe even those under our own roof, are saying, let's do this instead, let's do that. God, give us the fortitude, the faith, the endurance to wait on you. And Lord, oftentimes we do fail. And we do have to live with consequences. Help us to be repentant. And come back to you. And we thank you that as we do, you're the God of the second chance. And the third chance. And so forth and so on. Lord, I pray for folks today who may be somewhere in this pattern that we see in chapter 16. They're somewhere in here. Lord, give them strength. Give them wisdom. Help them to see their situation as you see their situation. And help them to cling to your word. And God, I pray for that person here this morning who feels all alone. Because perhaps they are alone when it comes to a relationship with you. They've never come to you through Jesus Christ your son. They are alone in that sense. Lord, I pray that they would see your outstretched arms to them even now. And they would run to you and embrace Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.